The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, an honor to be with you today. As um, I introduce our speaker, you notice when you came in, there was candy on your chair. Yes. So we do have chapel every day this week. It is our Spring World Reach Week. And if you come back, there'll be candy on your chair again on Wednesday and on Friday. So that's not a bribe, but if it works, we'll take it. Uh, as you recall, uh, Dr. Hurst began uh, this year, uh, our theme this year, which is to prepare. And today's speaker is going to continue in that theme. We are in the second year of our World Reach Week uh, cycle of different topics. Last year, if you recall, Dr. Randy Fairman came and talked to us about lambs and wolves and Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and other topics that helped us to discover and increase our awareness and passion for God's global work. This year's theme, if you remember, is prepare, which is to increase your effectiveness, our effectiveness for service in God's global work and his heart for the world. Our speaker this week and all the events that you will experience this week are centered around that theme. And our speaker this week is Kevin King. Uh, Kevin holds a BSM Bible from this institution, as well as a Master of Divinity in Pastoral Studies and a Master of Arts in Biblical Counseling from Biblical Theological Seminary. His studies abroad in the Middle East and time spent in Europe and Asia have given him cultural perspective and heart for world evangelism. Kevin and his wife, Jeannie, helped start the International Project in 1997 and moved to New York City to do church planting among internationals and unreached people groups. In 2010, Kevin launched uh, the EQUIP program, which focuses on training cross-cultural church planters. There are now multiple teams reaching unreached people groups in ethnic communities and on campuses in several cities. These teams have seen many come to Christ and a network of churches has been started in New York City and abroad. Kevin's vision is to see a movement of churches started among unreached people groups, starting with, dia the, with diaspora communities here and spreading to least evangelized countries. You can learn more about his ministry at www.internationalproject.org. On a personal note, I heard Kevin speak at, at my church about a year and a half or two years ago, and it really um, impacted me in the way I think about evangelism. And I was excited as we talked through this week to have Kevin come and speak to you. So without further ado, uh, please welcome Kevin King. It's great to be here. I uh, graduated from Cairn 31 years ago, 31 years ago, um, and I met my wife here. Actually, uh, we, we were different years, so we didn't have any classes together, but we first sat next to chapel, each other right in chapel, right around this area back there, and there was no social distancing then, so it was great. That's where we first kind of <laughs> had our conversation, and that's where things got kicked off, which was awesome. We're now married. We have two kids. They both graduated from college. You just never know. You never know. But it was back... Um, I became a believer right at the end of my high school time, and I was just super excited. I, I was going to a Catholic school, came to Christ, super excited about sharing the gospel, um, and then I decided, hey, I want to 
commit my life to ministry, so I decided to go to Bible college. Uh, so we, I came here, and one of the first courses I took um, in my freshman year was a night class. It was a one-credit course, and it was about Catholic evangelism. So we went to this class, and I got to th- let me just say this. I was so excited about coming to Cairn, and I was thinking, man, I, you know, the youth group that I'm a part of, people just aren't passionate about sharing the gospel. I can't wait till I get to Bible college where everybody is going to be so on fire and just want to go out and tell people about Jesus. And I got to say, I was, I was shocked a little bit, and I was slightly disappointed. Um, But I do believe this, that everybody who is walking with the Holy Spirit will have a desire, even if it's not the primary, it's a a desire, they will have a desire to be used by God to lead other people to know Jesus. And there's nothing better than that, than to help somebody take a step to following Jesus. And so I was looking for people here who would would share this passion. I met this one guy, Phil Carnuccio. He also had a background uh, out of Catholicism. Anyway, we decided to take this one credit class together, and it was about sharing the gospel and so forth. So at that time, we decided to go to Mass, which, you know, was part of our life growing up, our, you know, our whole lives. So we went to Mass, and we were trying to engage people and just talk to them about Scripture and salvation and Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And we were going to a church for probably three months, going to Mass every week. And then one week out of the blue, the priest stood up um, And he said, ladies and gentlemen, before I give the homily, I'd like to bring a matter of great concern to the congregation. For many months now, we've had some very unwelcome guests come to the church. We've asked them to leave, but they continued to come. We were never asked to leave. Anyway, they are seated amongst us right now like lambs among wolves, like wolves among lambs. Um, Please do not talk to them. Do not engage them. Oh my gosh, my heart was pumping like this. I felt like standing up and saying, where are they? Let's get them. Let's get them. Um, Anyway, afterwards, we went to the priest and we were like, you know, we talked to him and he said, please don't come back. So we didn't go back. We went to another Catholic church uh, a couple miles away and we started to go there every week and we started to talk to people and, and people were interested in Bible studies and it wasn't long, maybe a month or two, we were outside talking to some people and these ladies come out with one of the priests and they say, there they are, they're the guys who are, you know, trying to talk to us about this kind of stuff. And the priest said, hey, can you guys come inside? I want to talk to you. So we go inside. He goes, what are you doing? I said, well, this is my testimony. I came to know Jesus. I went to North Catholic, shared the whole testimony. And he said, that is great. Can you come and speak to the youth group at the church? Catholic priest. So God, you just never know. Whoever has a heart and is walking with Jesus, they will open doors for you. And we had an incredible opportunity there by someone who... um, wanted us to share with the youth in their church about Jesus. Um, So this passion of sharing the gospel has been something that has been born in me. And I'll share with you what happened, what else happened right around that time when I decided to come to Karen. I'll share that a little bit later. But this passion to share the gospel has been something that was 
in my life early, and I met some people who were just helping me to understand God's heart and God's passion to seek and save those who are lost. And so I started to take different courses. And I, I took, um, you maybe you haven't heard of what's called the EE course, the Evangelism Explosion, but that was big back when I was in college. And I took the Evangelism Explosion course, and I took different courses. And I can say that taking courses is valuable but I can tell you this, I've taken all these courses, and the problem with evangelism, the problem with evangelism as I've seen it in the way we have always done it, is we learn presentations. We learn presentations, and we're very good at sharing the presentation. And let me just say, it's really good to know a logical understanding of how to talk about the gospel. But the problem with these presentations is getting to the presentation, the problem with the presentation is how do you start talking about Jesus without it being so awkward? And how do you get into the gospel without it being so awkward? Like, how do you get there? What's the bridge? How do you smoothly transition? And no courses could ever talk about that. And this is one of the biggest problems. And I'm going to talk about friendship evangelism later because friendship evangelism has a, some major problems with it. And I'm going to talk to you about that. But evangelism courses just don't teach you how to talk about Jesus naturally, in an authentic way, in a comfortable way. About 10 years ago, we started this training in New York City called Equip, where missionaries from different mission organizations would come and get trained before they'd go out to wherever they're going to go. And one of the things that I found is that these are people who are passionate about sharing the gospel, but they had a difficulty engaging people on how do you begin a conversation. Um, so one of the things I want to talk about this morning is, is one of the primary trainings that we do in Equip. And it's probably the most important training that we have all through the year. And what I'd like to do is look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 to help us to understand um, in Scripture how, how do we engage people? What is God's heart? What is God's heart? Now, this passage is actually called the Shema, the Shema. And the Shema is really verse 6 where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. That's called the Shema. The Shema is kind of like the creed. It's like the profession of faith in Judaism. Um, it, it is so Actually, when the Pharisees asked Jesus in Matthew, hey, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus quoted the Shema, and he says the second one is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. You know what I mean? So the Shema, in New York City, you can sometimes see Orthodox and Hasidic Jews with leather straps wrapped around their hands, okay? And they're praying. And in their hand, with the leather wrapped around, is a little scroll with Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 on it, the Shema, sometimes the whole section. Sometimes in New York City, you see Hasidic or Orthodox Jews with a box on their head, strapped around their head, and they're praying to the, to, to the Lord, and they're praying like this. Inside that box is the Shema. Did you ever walk into a Jewish home and you see the little thing on the side of their door? It's called a mezuzah. Inside that, and pretty much any Orthodox Jew or Hasidic Jew that you meet, if you go to their home, you will see a little thing on the side of the doorframe of their house. Inside of that is a little scroll with the Shema. 
So the Shema is the profession of faith. It's, Jesus says it's the most important commandment. And let's read it together. I'm going to read it out loud. You can just listen. So I don't want to read it together, actually. I'll read it. You listen. <laughs> okay, here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. That's what the Jewish Hasidic, they tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. That's the box on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes, your houses, and on your gates. All of Scripture can be summed up with this command, and Jesus says, and the second one is like it, to love your neighbor. Now, here we see that the most important part of your life is to love God with all of your heart and soul and strength. That's key. But you know what else is key? Is it tells us how to do it. It tells us how to do it. And what does it say? It says, talk about this all the time. Talk about God all the time. Talk about him when you sit at home. Talk about him when you're walking along the road. Talk about him when you're going to work. Talk about him when you're at work with your colleagues. Talk about him when you wake up in the morning. Talk about him when you lie down. From the moment you wake up till the moment you lie down, you should be talking about the Lord all the time because that is a demonstration that you love God with all of your heart and soul and strength. Talk about him. Talk about him. Talk about him. Bind them on your hands. Who sees them if it's, if it's bound on your hand? Well, you do every time you see it. Maybe others will see it, but you see it. It's a reminder to yourself to love God with all of your heart and soul and strength. But who sees it if it's a box on your forehead? Everybody else sees it. I can't have a conversation with you without you seeing this box on my, you know, on my forehead. Hey, how you doing? Good. How's your, how's your day been? It's like, it's like having a huge pimple right here on my forehead, and you try your hardest not to look at it, but your eyes just go right to it. And, but that's what it's like. God is such a prominent part of your life that anybody you talk to can't miss it. That's what it means. when it, that's, how, it says that that's how you love the Lord your God. That's what demonstrates it. Now, if you put that on the doorframe of your house, who sees it if it's at the, on the doorframe of your house? Maybe people who you have come in, maybe you, it's a reminder for you whenever you go in and out. Who sees it if, it if it's on your gates? Everybody. Your neighbors, the entire community. Anybody who comes near your home will see it. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and strength is to be obvious. It's to talk about God all the time so that everybody knows that you are one of God's children, that you are a spiritual person. The reason we have, the reason these gospel presentations that 90% of people, even people who take these gospel trainings, they learn a presentation, they can never get there because they've quieted themselves. They've been taught to keep your mouth shut. You've been taught to keep your mouth shut, and we've obeyed. We've obeyed. 
It's not politically correct. It doesn't show respect. No. We've obeyed, and God actually tells us to talk about him all the time. So we've been doing this training in New York City for 10 years. And one thing that I can say after watching this for 10 years, and I, this is, this is, we've had lots of people go through. The people whose spiritual volume is the loudest lead the most people to Christ, period. The people whose spiritual volume is the lowest lead the least people to Christ. You see the least spiritual fruit in the lives of others because of them. The people whose volume is the loudest lead the most to Christ. So my encouragement to you today is to turn up your spiritual volume. To turn it up. Now, in New York City, we call these, these ideas of communicating spiritual truth in our language, we call this Shema statements. It's not a biblical term. It's just something that we call it. So we, we talk about training people and learning how to make Shema statements. Now, a Shema statement, according to our made-up definition, a Shema statement is anything that you say that lets people know that you are a spiritual person. It doesn't mean you've shared the gospel. It just lets them know that you're a spiritual person, that God's part of your life. It, it lets them see who you are, okay? It just lets them know that you're spiritual. So, hey, how you doing? Oh, you know, my, my mother is really struggling. She, I just found out she had cancer. Hey, do you mind? Can I pray for your mother? I'm going to pray for her. That lets them know. No, I didn't share the gospel, but that lets them know I'm a spiritual person. Man, God is just amazing how, he's, how he has impacted, uh, you know, us through this. You know, it lets them know that I'm a spiritual person. I haven't shared the gospel. But listen, those people who turn up their volume have far more opportunity to share the gospel because people are spiritually receptive. There are people all around who are spiritually receptive, and they want to hear about spiritual things, but they're looking for someone to engage them spiritually. They're looking for someone to engage them spiritually. Listen, I we tell people in our training, you have to engage people spiritually from the very first conversation. The very first conversation. What I found is if I don't engage somebody spiritually from the first conversation, the second time I meet them, it's twice as hard. If I go and it's the third conversation, it's like five times as hard. If it's the fourth conversation, it's almost impossible. It's almost like, do you ever meet somebody and you don't remember their name? And then the second conversation, you don't remember it again. And, and then it's like the third conversation. You're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to interact with this person without letting them know that I don't? Like you're just trying some natural way to engage. That's what it's like with Shema statements. If you don't engage somebody spiritually from conversation number one, it becomes so difficult. So turn up your volume. We have been taught... To cover, our, to cover it, to turn it down. Leave that for a church. Leave that for, you know, your own personal life. And we've become quiet. You know what's the sad thing? We work with all kinds of Muslims in New York City. And from the very first conversation I talked to a Muslim, God is part of their conversation. They are not ashamed. He's part of their worldview. He's part of their conversation. And from the first time you talk to them, you know, oh, they say, oh, God willing, I will do this. And yes, Allah has told me this. And Allah has said this. And I... They talk about God all the time. And here we are believers, child of, of God, you know, saved by grace, by this incredible grace. 
and we keep our mouths shut. We had... Um, uh, we, we go through this training because people have a hard time adjusting. How do I begin? I've, I'm so used to being quiet. How do I learn to turn up the volume? So we, we help people learn how to turn up the volume, and it's, it, it's practice, and we have, it's a lot of encouragement, but we teach people how to make these Shema statements. And I can tell you this. When I first realized that my volume was closed, I decided, I, and God was saying to me, Kevin, you're good at sharing the gospel if you go out and plan to do it. But God said to me, he said, you're not good. Now, when I say he said this to me, it was just a lot of internal conviction. But, you know, I realized that I needed to turn up the volume and just engage people all over the place with, about spiritual things, and I wasn't doing it. So I started to really work in just engaging people throughout my day. And one of the early times, I was in the planet, I was at the gym, I go to Planet Fitness on 125th Street in Harlem, and I'm in Planet Fitness, and I usually just head out and head home and just get to doing things, but I said to myself, I'm going to slow down, I'm just going to engage people along the way. And so I go to the gym, and I'm walking out, and I just say to the person behind the counter, I say, oh, hey, how you doing? And she said, oh my gosh, I'm great. I was like, really? Why? She said, I found my phone. Now, I'm thinking, okay, make a Shema statement. Make a Shema statement. And you know, like I'm not a praise the Lord type of person. You know what I mean? I'm becoming more of a praise the Lord type of person. But at the, you know, like to just say, oh, praise the Lord. It kind of felt a little weird to me, right? So I, I'm trying to think of how can I let this person know that I'm spiritual? And my Rolodex is going. And the first thing that comes to my mind that I and I just said it, and it was, I just, she said, oh, I found my phone. I said, really, you should call your friends together to celebrate. <laughs> I was trying to be biblical. <laughs> and of course, she had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> and, you know, and so then she was like, yeah, it fell down in between the couch, and after it was three days, blah, 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 blah. And I said, actually, there's this story in the Bible where someone loses something, and they find it, and they call their friends to get together to celebrate. And then, and then I said, actually, it's a story about someone who's far from God who comes back, and the angels celebrate. And she says this. She says, really? She says, you know, I've never been to church, and I've never read the Bible, but for some reason, about three weeks ago, I had a desire to buy, the buy, a, buy a Bible, and I did. And I said, are you interested in learning about God? She said, I guess I bought a Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I used to think, I used to think that if I don't share the gospel with this person right here, they're going to die and go to hell forever. I don't think that anymore. Trust me, I believe in hell. If I don't share the gospel with this person right here, God's going to bring another person who's faithful and willing to live out loud and will engage them. And I will forever sit on the sidelines thinking, why is it that some people have so many opportunities to share the gospel and lead so many, and I don't, because that person will live out loud. So in the beginning, I mean, just make Shema statements. In the beginning, maybe it's going to be awkward. Maybe it'll be uncomfortable. But the more you do it, the more you let your secular, unbelieving friends see who you really are, the more you let them see who you really are, the more God will use you to, to draw those people who he has drawn. And the harvest is plentiful. 
Trust me, the harvest is plentiful. Don't trust me, the scripture says, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. Thousands of people, trust me, the harvest is plentiful. Thousands of people all around are spiritually receptive. Even today, it hasn't changed. They're ready for salvation. But they're looking for people who who are spiritual people who they can engage. But in the beginning, it's hard. Let me share another story. I was at the eye doctor's. Now, I have this eye condition where my, it's like a deteriorating condition in my eyes. So I'm at the eye doctor's, and they have to take pictures of my eyes every six months to see if the condition is getting worse. So I'm sitting there, and they use some kind of contraption to hold my eyeballs open, and they have this camera, and I'm sitting there like this, and um, they take pictures, right? So I'm behind the, the, this desk, and they have my eyes all pulled open like this, and there's this new technician there, and uh, she says, hi, and I say, hi, and now I'm thinking, what can I possibly say (laughs) to live out loud? Like, what do I say? Like, how do I engage this person spiritually? I felt like God wanted me to engage her spiritually, but I didn't know what to say, And and when I force it, it's usually awkward, but you know what? No, sharing anything is better than not you know, just sitting there quietly and constantly living in regret, right? So I, the, the best thing that came to my mind at the time, I just said, um, so um, my eye condition, do you think this is because of my sin or the sin of my parents? <laughs> Honest to God. <laughs> I'm sitting there and waiting for a response. She, I'm, look, I'm, I'm being vulnerable right now. And you guys are laughing at, I'm doing this so that you know it's okay if it doesn't go well in the beginning. So I'm sitting there. She doesn't crack a smile. She just sits there and she says this, you'll have to ask the doctor. (laughs) Which I did. I asked asked him the same, that didn't go well either. So I don't recommend that Shema statement. I don't recommend that. In the beginning, it'll feel hard because we're so used to being quiet around our secular friends. You know what? If you would just talk to your family and unbelieving friends the way you talk at church, that would make a world of a difference. But we don't. We don't. And this is my problem with friendship evangelism. Let me tell you my problem with friendship evangelism. Friendship evangelism says that you have to earn somebody's respect and trust before you talk to them about spiritual things. You need to earn that. And you need to build a relationship before you do that. So basically what that's saying is don't be who you really are until they like you and trust you. And then you can be who you really are. You understand what I'm saying? Friendship evangelism is the ultimate bait and switch. Hide who you really are until they like you and trust you and then pull it out. No, don't hide who you are. Be who you are. And if they want to be friends, great. And if they don't, okay. But I can tell you this, if, if we're just being ourselves, you know, friendship evangelism is basically saying, hide your light under a bowl. You look all through scripture. And what does it say? God, it says, God, we make our boast all day long. We will praise your name forever, all day. We don't hide it when we're around certain people because we have to earn their trust. My tongue will proclaim your righteousness, your praises all day long. 
I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glorify the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. On and on we see scripture after scripture. I don't have, I don't, my time is running out. I don't have time to go through them all. I will acknowledge you before the Father. I will acknowledge you. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge. And on and on we see this idea of talking about God all the time. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, your saving acts all day long. You see, friendship evangelism is basically, you know, the whole point of friendship evangelism is you don't want people to feel like projects. You don't want them to feel like, oh, if they're not interested in talking about the, this presentation, then I'm not going to be friends with you. Yeah, that's horrible. But the result of friendship evangelism is this idea of, no, don't talk about spiritual things until you've had enough time for them to trust you as a friend. Basically, you're being fake until they trust you, and then you try to, you know what I mean? Oh, how come I've, we've been friends for three months. How come I've never heard this before? You know, is God really that important? If You know, that's a really valid question. Be authentic. God wants you to be the authentic person as his child and not be ashamed of it. To just be who we are and talk about him all the time. And I can tell you this, those people who live out loud see the most spiritual fruit, period. Do we need to learn gospel presentations? Yeah, they're really good. Actually, this afternoon we're going to have a workshop where we're actually learning a gospel presentation. And that's really good because it helps you to present things logically. But if you don't live out loud, it'll never happen. If you don't live out loud, it won't happen consistently unless you plan to go out and come up with some statement to try to jump into it awkwardly. A guy comes to my door. I'm going to tell two more quick stories. It ends at 11.35, right? Guy comes to my door. Actually, we order a pizza. Guy comes to my door, and I said, oh, hey, how you doing? What's your name? He says, my name's Mohammed. I said, Mohammed, where are you from? He said, I'm from Senegal. Now, I, I, be, living out loud has become more and more a part of my life. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. God's really doing amazing things in the lives of people from Senegal. He said, really, what do you mean? I said, well, people are having dreams of Jesus and people's lives are being changed. He said, can you tell me more about that? Long story short, we started meeting and studying the scriptures together. And on his way to work, we would meet together and pray. He's back in Senegal. I'll finish the rest of that story next time. But live out loud from conversation number one. Don't make it awkward. It doesn't have to be awkward. Do you know why people feel awkward when we bring up spiritual things with them? Do you know why they feel awkward? Because we feel awkward. That's why they feel awkward. Because we're so awkward about it. They talk to us and we're like, that's awkward. You know what I mean? But if we're just comfortable and relaxed and we just be who we are, nobody's going to feel awkward. People are not going to be offended that you love God and are a Christian. It's a, it's a big lie, this whole idea that, I mean, some people will be, but in general, if you're just being who you are, most people don't care. And most people are spiritually hungry. We had a girl in our, we have a house church network in New York City, and we have a woman in one of our house churches who uh, had this Muslim Bangladeshi woman who lived next to her, and she had kids. The mother had kids, and the, the woman in our house church also had kids, and their kids would get together, and the parents would get, to, and they would have play dates, right? So Liz says to us, she says, oh, pray for me. I'm really trying to share the gospel with my Muslim neighbor from Bangladesh. And so we, we pray for Liz, and a week goes by. We're like, oh, how's it going, Liz? How's, how's it going with the woman? Oh, I haven't said anything yet. Can you please, please keep praying? Another week goes by. We're praying. Nothing. A month goes by. We're praying. Liz, how's it going? Nothing. Two months, three months, literally. 
And Liz is agonizing over, I just wish I could talk to her about spiritual things. And then one day, Liz calls up her neighbor and says, do you guys want to come over and play for another play date? Do you guys want to come over and play? And the woman, about an hour later, shows up. Liz opens the door. The woman doesn't have any kids there. No kids. And the woman says, I'm here to pray. English was not her first language. Liz asked her, do you want to come over and play? And the woman heard, do you want to come over and pray? God opened up a door. Now look, I've thought about that story and I have two different interpretations for it. Two different interpretations. Over here, Liz was agonizing. She so much wanted to engage her neighbor spiritually. She didn't know how. She, she wasn't comfortable at just living out loud and just being the spiritual. She wanted so much. And God, in his grace and mercy, divinely orchestrated a language misunderstanding so that Liz could engage her spiritually. I think that's, a, that's an interpretation. I think that's a true interpretation. Another interpretation is this just in terms of how do we understand what just happened. All this time, Liz was agonizing over how can I engage my neighbor spiritually? And all she had to do was say, do you want to pray? And the woman's like, I'm here to pray. We agonize so much. We live in so much fear about being who God has called us to be. And it's no wonder that the church in America is on decline. It's no wonder because we live in so much fear. And it's no wonder that many, many believers go and they could say, I, I haven't talked to anybody spiritually or engaged anybody at the gospel for a month, two months, a year. I've never led anybody to Christ. It's no wonder that happens because the culture has silenced us and friendship evangelism has basically silenced us as well with this false idea that you can't be who you are, you can't live out loud, you can't obey Deuteronomy 6, you can't obey Psalm 71, you can't do that until you earn their trust. That's not what God's calling. God's calling us to be who we are, talk about him all the time. And those who do that will see conversations all the time where people are spiritually interested and you will have far more opportunities to engage people and share the gospel. That's our prayer. I'm going to talk to you on Wednesday about how God orchestrates and divine appointments and how we should expect those as we engage people throughout the day. Let me pray. Lord, we give you praise. I thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be your light. You have called us to be your mouthpiece, your ambassadors, as though you are speaking through us, Lord. I thank you for that. Lord, I pray for Noy as he helps us to understand how to logically present the gospel. Um, but Lord, I pray that we would all turn up our volumes and you would use us in incredible ways because the harvest is plentiful. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Dis you're dismissed.